0: Father, You have been much in our midst. We have been through music, through prayer, through the Word, through the testimony. We have been lifted up to You and You have graciously come down to us. Don't stop now, Father. The Word, let it come alive. Let it be a Word for the third millennium. Let it be a Word we can take with us out of this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James Dobson, who is president of Focus on the Family, you know, Focus on the Family. He sent this story to those of us who subscribe to his newsletter. It's a great newsletter. It's a story about when uh, Dr. Dobson and his young newlywed bride, Shirley, celebrated their first Valentine's Day. And the reason he uh, shares the story, he has a line right here. Men need all the help they can get in remembering that their wives are incurable romantics. All right. All right. Now, he starts out by saying, our first Valentine's Day was a disaster. Here's what happened on that February 14th. They were living in the city of angels. He left the apartment that morning, crossed Los Angeles, went to USC, University of Southern California, where he was doing doctoral work. And so he said, I spent eight to ten hours poring over dusty books and journals, completely oblivious as to what day it was. Now, Shirley has not forgotten she knows that her husband is going, but he'll be back early, after, uh, early evening. And so, the young bride has, has concocted, cooked a delectable dinner. She's baked a cake, a pink cake in the shape of a heart with squiggly red letters. Happy Valentine's Day. She's got three red candles that are going to be lighted. She has a little gift that she's wrapped and a, a, a greeting card with a love note on it. She is all ready. And the plan is when he comes walking through that door, whoo, then it all begins. So, James does not know that this is all taking place. He gets to the end of the day and he says, you know, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So he says, I think at about eight o'clock it was, he, he, he meandered over to the university grill and bought a hamburger and ate it. He says, you know, I need to get home. This is about it. So he goes back. He, he moses out to his Volkswagen, gets in the Volkswagen, begins driving across L.A. on the freeways when he says, you yeah, know, I need to see mom and dad. They live right off the freeway. So he gets off the freeway. And he steps into the house, and Mother's so happy to greet him. And uh, Mom greeted me warmly and served up a great slice of apple pie. And then he writes the the words, That sealed my doom. Now, it's about 10 o'clock when he comes home, okay? You can picture it. I'm going to let him pick it up right here. When I finally put the key in the lock about 10 p.m., I knew instantly that something was horribly wrong. I am very perceptive about subtleties like that. The apartment was almost dark and all was deathly quiet. There on the table was a coagulated dinner, still sitting in our best dishes and bowls. Half-burned candles stood cold and dark in their silver-plated holders. It appeared to me that I had forgotten something important, but what? Then I noticed the red and white decorations on the table and he said two words, Oh no. I stood in the semi-darkness of our little living room feeling like a creep. I didn't have a valentine card. I hadn't thought a romantic thought all that day. And I couldn't even pretend to want the dried out food that sat before me. And when he starts to say something to Shirley, she, you know how it goes, she bursts into tears, flees to the living room, pulls the covers up over her ears so that she, she can't hear another word. He said, I, if somebody had given me a thousand dollars to come up with a true plausible explanation, I would have wanted one at the moment, but I could come up with nothing. In fact, he said, it didn't help to tell her I stopped by mom's house for a piece of great apple pie. <laughs> oh, my Ladies and gentlemen, the miracle, the magic, and the mystery of marriage. Hallelujah. How did the wise man put it over here? We're studying the book of Proverbs. Aren't we in the book of Proverbs now? Let's take a look at the book of Proverbs. This is chapter 30, verse 18. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I do not understand. Here they are. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a snake on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. And the way of a man with a maiden. Hallelujah. The magic. The miracle. The mystery of marriage. The way of a man with a mate. Hallelujah. Well, enough hallelujahs. We need to get down to brass tacks. And so what we're going to do is for the next three weeks, you and I, you know, we we have had some very heavy subjects. Come on, let's be honest. These have been, you know, I mean, come on. That's been a challenge for us all. We need to take a deep breath, kind of lighten up a bit and realize life is not about bad news. Life is about great news, such as marriage. And so for the next three Sabbaths that you and I are together, there'll be one Sabbath in between. We're going to focus on marriage. And I want you to write this down. Please write this down in your calendar book. The first Sabbath of December, the wife of the preacher is going to get equal time in the pulpit. Yeah, you go, girl. You go, girl. Yeah, I tell you, hallelujah. Karen agreed this week. She said, all right. I will. I'll get up. And we'll work. We'll, we'll do it together. But I just want you to... Uh, ladies, please be here for support because... And, and men, come out in force that day because I'm going to need you <laughs> as I never needed you before. But let's begin with square one today. How to find your one and only and know you have picked a winner. I'm really excited about what we are about to share. I need to tell you that the, book, the, the line... It all begins with a single line out of a book so sensual, whoa, so seductive. This book is so steamy, I'm going to be honest, it is so sexual that the ancient rabbis forbade anybody under the age of 30 from reading the book. <laughs> we did not check ID when you came today. We trust you. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. You know, when I read this book and I have, I think to myself, God Himself is a hopeless romantic. God loves love between a man and a woman when they're husband and wife. Wow! And so, this is the perfect Valentine's song for any Christian. And we're Christians here. You're watching on television right now. I think you'll like this book as well. But let's begin first things first. Let's go to the last chapter of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. I want to find it with you. You've got to find the book of Psalms. Once you find Psalms, you're getting close because then it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Then the tiny little book, Song of Solomon. You know what I tell my honeymooners? I see some honeymooners out here that I've had the joy of tying that knot. I tell my honeymooners, I said, listen, guys, when you go on that honeymoon for the first few blissful nights and days, I want you to sing this song. If you can't sing it, I want you to read the song out loud together. I must warn you, there are some X-rated passages in here. But now that you're married, it's okay to read it out loud together. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. By the way, we're going to end with a love song in just a moment. But before we get to that love song, we've got some work to do, you and I. And so, let's read. This is Song of Solomon. Chapter 8, we'll pick it up in verse 4. I adjure you, this is the very last chapter now. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Okay, I got an email from one of our Andrews University co-eds just the other day. Dear Pastor Dwight, relationships, Woo! I appreciate these sermons you've been preaching. It's helped me realize a lot of things. And then she writes a smile in here. But since you've been preaching on the subject, I have this issue. I need some help. I'm involved in a relationship that is getting really serious. So serious that marriage has been mentioned twice. This is very serious. (laughs) I see this guy as a potential husband. I don't know who she is. I don't know who he is. They're here today, I hope. However, can this relationship reach its full capacity without the support of the parents? How do I get my parents to give my boyfriend a chance? How can I get my boyfriend to respect my parents? We listen to your sermons a lot, and it takes a lot to get the boy to have his mind changed about something he strongly believes in. So, Pastor, if anything, just a little mention of the relationship between girlfriend and boyfriend and the parents in your sermon next week. It would really help us. Well, I just did. From a struggling college student. I want to get into this. What I want to share with you today, with you, young lady, and your beau, and every other pre-married person here, I don't care how old you are, doesn't matter on this age uh, graph. I want to share with you seven vital principles that can guide a Christian in finding his or her one and only. And to make sure that I don't just speak to idle ears that forget. In the bulletin today is a worksheet. I want you to pull this worksheet out. I want you to get this. I'm not going to waste this time without you jotting this down. Come on. We're a university. We're used to taking notes today. Get this. Now, look, if you're sitting in an aisle with somebody, maybe, who's over the age of 80, you may and you don't have one of these, you, you can borrow it if you wish. Although, hey, any more. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your age. There are people looking for spouses right up to uh, whatever it is you go up to. So I want you to pull this out, please. It's a little white sheet. I want everybody to have this. If you don't have one, raise your hand. And somebody in your row will share with you, maybe. Seven principles in choosing and marrying the right one. Now I want you to get this right here. Song of Solomon 8.4. Just get 8.4. Just write 8.4 real quick here. Because I don't want you to miss that verse. What did the verse say? Do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Okay. Jot that down. Song of Solomon 8.4. Now, before we write another thing, I need to do this. And by the way, if you are a parent, young parents, this is ammo. You need what we're going to share today. Grandparents, you got grandkids at home and not married yet. (coughs) Pardon me. Grandma and Grandpa, please. Would you take... (coughs) Pardon me. Would you please, Grandma and Grandpa, take some notes. (coughs) Because that that little granddaughter is going to love getting some wise counsel from you. Now... I need to say this before we write a single note down. Before we go a step further, you need to know. Listen carefully, please. There is no such thing as a one and only when it comes to marriage. Wrong title. We just blew the title out of the water. There is no such thing as a one and only. The sooner you realize that, my friends, the more at peace you will be. Now, hold on with me. You see, whether you were pre-married or married... I, I know people that have done this. They've worked themselves up. We can all work ourselves up into quite a dither. Oh God, I think I may have made a mistake. I mean, God, I don't know that this really is the right one. I know people who, after they've gotten married, start asking the questions. Wrong, 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 hold it, hold it. No. There, there is no such thing as one and only. You say, I'm looking all over this campus, do I gotta find I'm in the seminary and I've got to find a wife before I graduate from this place. <laughs> Well, I am very glad, my sir, that you are here today. I'm give you some counsel as a graduate student. But there is no such thing as a one and only. There is no celestial computer that says, Bing! Match! Whoops! Tibet, U.S. How am I going to get them together? There's none of that. Because that's the whole point. You see, if I had not gone to SMC, Southern Matrimonial College, I would not have met Karen. If I had gone to Andrews instead... I would have been moving in a whole different circle of humans of the opposite sex. It would have been the same with you. It's because you went to school where you did that you met each other. It's because you went you you worked on the job where you worked that you met him. It's because you went to the church you went to. If you had made another choice, it would have been somebody else. And you know what? You could have been happy with somebody else. Let's not play the game of, I never could have been happy. Well, of course, at this point... The point is, and I want you to get this, everybody, there is no such thing as a one and only. Quit wasting your energy trying to determine if you found or can you find the one and only. Give up. I got this idea. One of my favorite theologians is Helmut Tillich. May he rest in peace. A wonderful book of his on the book of Genesis called How the World Began. Look what Tillich Tillich says. He is absolutely right on. Let's put it up on the screen for you. It is utterly foolish to brood over the question whether the other person is the one conceivable partner for me. See, you're already married. Perhaps I really could have married another man or another woman. That this particular person is the only person for me is not the thing which creates the foundation of marriage. It's the other way around. It is marriage that makes him or her the only one for me. You see, Tillichie's point is, hey, look, boy, did you marry Karen? Yep. Then I'm, I've, got, I've got good news for you. She is your one and only. For the rest of your life, she's your one and only. You will never have to ask the question, Did I do the right thing when I was at Andrews and I met, met my husband? I met my wife. Forget it. Once you marry. That old song that croons is true. But I only have eyes for you. That's it. That's the song once you're married. Because she just became, sir, you're one and only. Now, uh, uh, Tillich goes on, and I like this. For this uniqueness of the other person, this unrepeatable belonging together, this business of your being cut out for me, is not at all something that is there beforehand. No, 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 no. Rather, we become, emphasis his we become unique and irreplaceable for each other only when God brings us together, gives us a life and history together, and blesses us if we will only trust Him and watch for His directions. Hey, anybody who does not trust that in everything God works for good with those who love Him, and that his life partner is included in that plan, in that promise. Oh my, he is a poor white or creature indeed. Hey, 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 folks, take a deep breath, huh? Chill out. Chill out. Drop it. It is only Hollywood's foolishness that makes us keep asking the question, but is, is is this the one and only? It is. It is The one and only. You're sitting with him right now. All right. So, now seven principles in choosing and marrying the right one forever. You notice what we did. We took the one and only out. It doesn't even say it here. Why? Because but 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 please don't think you haven't chosen yet? Oh, please do not think. Well then it doesn't matter. I'll just marry the first guy that comes along. Crazy. You've got to have care. You've got to exercise caution. You need wisdom. And that's what the rest of this sermon is about. Giving you seven principles that will enable you to choose and marry. You say, Dwight, I've already been married once before. Good. I am so glad you're here because before you ever marry again, sister, brother, before you ever marry again the second time or the third time, you've got to get it right. Seven principles. They'll work for you, too. All right. Let's go. Song of Solomon has it go, 8, verse 4. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Here we go. Principle number one, fill in the blanks. Remember your relational responsibilities. Two words. Remember your relational responsibilities. Say, Dwight, where do you get these seven principles? Oh, I'm going to be very upfront with you. Karen bought a book for Chrissy, our daughter, who's 14 now. The title of the book is I Kissed Dating Goodbye. In fact, there it is right on the screen. It's written by Joshua Harris. Wonderful book. You young parents, take a look at this book. I Kissed Dating Goodbye by a young man named Joshua Harris. The seven principles I got at the end of his book. And I think they're dynamite. It's a good book. Karen and Chrissy are reading it through right now. Principle number one. Remember your relational responsibilities. Joshua Harris uses this illustration. Every guy can identify with this. Let's say, fellas, we could take that car that we've always wanted to drive so bad and we could be out on the Bonneville Flats. You know, in Utah, where they have you seen that Maxima, Maxima ad where this car just... Wouldn't you love to be able to put the pedal to the metal and just drive that thing full bore? No, I'm not going to hit anything. There's not a tree out there. I'm safe. Now, Joshua says, hey, look, that's one illustration, but he said, let's shift the paradigm. Let's say you're in midtown Manhattan. The place is packed with pedestrians and cars, and you look in the rearview mirror, there is a New York City squad car right behind you. Now, he says, do you push the pedal to the metal? You do not, because suddenly relationships now dictate how you behave. That, he says, is the truth about anybody going into a marriage. You're thinking down the road. You're not sure you found them yet. But number one, remember your relational responsibilities. In fact, three relationships. Jot these down. There are three relationships that you need to keep in mind. Number one, there's your relationship with the person you're interested in. Now, guys, don't tell me that you don't know that you're interested in her. You know you are interested in her. Something happens within your anatomy and your physiology that tells you, i think i could be interested okay so number 1 you have your relationship with this person that needs to be carefully considered number 2 your relationship with the people around you those are your parents that's your family your friends okay number 2 relationships of those around me and finally number three number 3 what do you think number 3 would be relationship with whom god you got it right of course your relationship with god joshua harris's point as a christian you have a responsibility to all three Venues. Arenas of relationships. Okay? Let's go on. There's seven of these. Principle number two. Seek a deeper friendship first. Joshua tells about his little four-year-old sister who, when spring had sprung, went running out to the garden and plucked a whole handful of little flowers that hadn't even opened yet. The buds are still closed. And she handed that fistful of flowers to her mother. And her mother spoke some very wise words. Let's take a look on the screen. Mother said, "Uh uh-oh, honey, you picked them too soon. They're a lot prettier when they're allowed to bloom. Oh, there's a point there somewhere begging to be made. The problem with American dating, let's just be honest, come on, even at Andrews University. The problem is American dating pushes you, accelerates you into romance right off the bat. You're already thinking about perfume and candles and and all the rest. Boom! Because that's the way America says it's supposed to be done. Wrong, wrong, wrong. dating, Dating does not have to accelerate to romance immediately. Seek a deeper friendship first. In fact, I want to tell you, speaking of dating, I've got my little girl here. She's 14. She said, Dad, don't ever call me a little girl. And so I'm not calling her a little girl, but she gave us a beautiful, gave me a beautiful card last night and she signed it, you little girl. And so I'm, I, I'm so proud of Chrissy. She's here. And I told Chrissy, by the way, when she was four or five, Chrissy, you will not be dating until the age of 21. Do you understand? <laughs> at, at four or five, she went, yep, Dad. In fact, I said, Chrissy, if you will never date at all and stay and live with us forever, I will take you to Hawaii. <laughs> Wow, Dad. I still do that all the time in her And She goes, oh. So, uh, she probably is going to date, but I want to tell you something. And I'm glad she's here to hear this. Because what's going to happen is I have, hallelujah, an application for permission to date my daughter. I've got one of these right here. I've got one right here and I am going to use this. Name, date of birth, home address, height, weight, IQ? I want to know. Boy Scout rank, Pathfinder honors? I want to know. Okay, I won't read all the questions. Here's one. Do you own a van? Do you own a truck with oversized tires? A waterbed? Do you have an earring, nose ring, or belly button ring? Do you have a tattoo? If you answered yes to any parts of this question, three, discontinue application and leave premises immediately. (laughs) Oh, this is good. Can't read them all. In 50 words or less, what does late mean to you? (laughs) In 50 words or less, what does don't touch my daughter mean to you? Church you attend. How often you attend? Name of mother, name of father, name of your bishop. I want to know who is the spiritual authority in your life. Well, this is written for all denominations, apparently. Oh, I like this one. What do you want to be if you grow up? (laughs) And final question. Are you willing to wear an electronic tracking device? (laughs) Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? What is it? Then they have to sign it. Thank you for your interest. Please allow four to six years for processing. (laughs) Oh, mercy. Hold back on the romance. Hold back on that dating. Don't make every date a romantic moment. Let the friendship bloom. Come on, you picked that flower way too soon, sir. Let the flower bloom. Let the friendship, let the blossom. Let it come. All right. Hey by the way, great ways to do that is to deepen the friendship first. Great ways to do that. Are, some of the ways are to be involved in service together. You know, Benton Harbor Street Ministry is a wonderful Sabbath afternoon activity. And you, you just, you're just involved. You're not down there. You're just there serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll tell you this. I married off a couple this February. Steve and Heidi Isley. They met for the first time at Benton Harbor Street Ministry. They had a common love. And that, that just began to grow. It took months you know, join, join a student organization. Come to us here at Pioneer. It would be so wonderful if, if you would come and say, you know, I'd like to work with my friend here. We'd like to help teach in a children's division. Is there somewhere w- where we could be involved? We'd love to have you. Join a choir together. Join us. This, work in the student association. Find something where, where, where you can just deepen together. And, oh, please, please, please. Don't let your friends make you into a couple already. Just tell them. Hush your mouth. Stop that kind of talk. We're not a couple. We're friends. Enjoy being friends. All right, seven principles for choosing and marrying the right one. That was principle number two. Seek a deeper friendship first. Principle number three there are no blanks because I want to make sure you didn't miss it. There are no blanks. Principle number three watch and wait and pray. I want to tell you something. If there ever were a relationship to talk long and hard about to God, it ought to be a lifelong friendship with potentially your partner for the rest of this journey. Talk to God about it. He, his heart, he's a hopeless romantic himself. He would love to have you talk. He would love to give you counsel. Talk to God. God is eager. And by the way, so are your parents. So are your Christian mentors. There is, don't be embarrassed. you got a favorite professor here at Andrews University. Go up to that professor after choir one day or after lab and, and say, You know, prop, I need to just talk with you for a moment. To ask her, ask him. Seek counsel. Talk. Watch. And wait. And pray. Oh, and by the way, before we move to principle number four, Joshua says there are four green lights you need before moving on any further. So make sure you get these green lights. Then we can go on. Green light number one, before you can go any further in this friendship, green light number one, God's word. Write those two words down. God's word. That's green light number one. He said, what are you talking about, I Well, I'm, what I'm talking about is God's word is very clear. If your boyfriend or girlfriend is an unbeliever, if your boyfriend or girlfriend does not share your Christian values, I'm telling you, beat a track away from that relationship in terms of a long-term relationship. I know, I can tell you from my pastoral experience, I have seen marriages where the cloud has never lifted because they chose to start off on the wrong feet, not on the same step with God. Now is the time to test it. You need a green light from God's Word. You need a second green light. And that is, you are ready for marriage. You're ready for marriage. Green light number two. You're ready for marriage. What's that mean? Hey, I mean, you've got to look inward. Am I emotionally, as a single right now... Am I emotionally ready? Am I spiritually ready to make a lifelong commitment? You've got to know and you've got to ask that question. By the way, those of you who've been divorced, you've got to ask that question. It takes a while. It takes a long while for hearts to heal out of a divorce. Am I ready? Green light number two. Green light number three. The approval and support of your parents, mentors, and friends. Come on draw them, bring them all into this. You you want to find out what are they thinking? What does this, how does this appear? These who know you best and love you most. If they say, hey honey, you know, I don't think you're ready for marriage yet. Uh, Buddy, I don't think, Junior, you're ready for marriage yet. Listen, listen. They know. Just kind of listen for a while. They're not always the last word, but listen. And finally, green light number four. God's peace. When you talk to God about this friend and you're already thinking potential marriage, is there there a settledness inside? Is there a peace? Is there, you know, God, I feel good about this. Or every time you go to God, is there kind of an anxiety? Is there tension? Is there frustration? If it's there, I'm not saying feelings are a barometer, but ladies and gentlemen, feelings got to tell you something. And those feelings may be saying, whoa, hold back. You don't have green light number four yet. All right. Four green lights before you move on. Let's move on. We're ready now for principle number four. How does this go? Define the relationship's purpose pursuing marriage. Who are we kidding? Let's get on with it, folks. I am going into this relationship because I believe that it has potential for me to pursue marriage pursuing marriage. Those are the two words. Now, Joshua, he's talking particularly to young men and I want you fellas to read this because he's making a good point. Let's put his words up on the screen. I believe the man needs to say something such as, Hey baby, we're growing closer in friendship and I need to be up front about my motives. With your parents' permission, I want to explore the possibility of marriage. See, this is not a proposal. He's thinking now, Is there something that can go beyond this? Can we now move this conversation into a little, a little wider arena? I want to ask your parents the possibility of marriage. I'm not not interested in playing the game of being boyfriend and girlfriend. No, 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 no. I want to be tested by you, your family, and those who are responsible for you. My sister, my desire is to win your heart. He hasn't won it yet. But he's being up front and he's saying, I'm ready now to think more seriously about what we've been enjoying here. This relationship. I like that. Uh, You know what? I'm going to tell you, I didn't do everything right in our relationship, Karen and me. But I'll tell you what. I did this one right. I did it with Karen's folks after we had fallen in love. I was scared to death of her dad. (laughs) He would scared every boyfriend off before me. He had just kind of this visage very successful in ministry and I was still a pre neophyte even but I screwed up my courage and before I ever proposed to Karen I sat down they lived, they were living on the other side of the country and so I wrote them a long letter that was before email and electricity and I wrote them a long letter and I described my love for their daughter you know this little girl that you have created and I just I just went just just Unburdened my heart and asked them if it would be alright if I talked to Karen about spending the rest of our lives together. And boy, I was nervous. But a hallelujah, the day came when I got a beautiful letter. It was dad's handwriting on the outside of the envelope. And I opened up that letter and I knew when I read it, I had received the final green light. Now, some of you say, you know, that's so old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. And you do it. you get serious about this. You do it. Why not? The family is a part of this. You're not marrying a solo. You're marrying a choir. <laughs> I'm going to write that down because that just came to me. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Alright, let's go on. Because this fits right into the next principle. Principle number five, honor her parents. You might want to put his. Honor her parents. All right, let, me, let me put this Joshua Harris quote on the screen. I like this. A young man ought to show respect for the person responsible for the girl. If that means approaching her pastor or grandfather, do it. If it means writing, calling, or emailing our folks on the other side of the world, do that. Go the distance to give them the respect they deserve. Now, I want to talk to that young co-ed who sent me this letter, this email. You know what, madam? You know, here it is. You know what? Quite frankly, can can I speak to you? I don't know who you are. But quite frankly, your boyfriend not getting along with your parents, I would take that as a caution, as a yellow light. Right now. If he can't get along with your parents, you better slow this thing down. Now, I need to say in defense of the boyfriend, because I don't know him either. It is possible he has not had the chance yet to meet your parents, to, to really get to know your parents. He's just been this little home stuff. And he has developed these, these false opinions. Give, him a ch- give the family a chance to draw together. I want to say to you, sir, I would suggest you work very hard... On winning that young lady's parents' hearts. Work hard on it. It matters. We are not in isolation. Because I want to tell you, sister. If he does not honor your parents today. He will not honor you tomorrow. Write it down. You heard it here. If he can't get along with mom and dad. He won't get along with you when the chips are down. You're testing him. You're watching how he does in a wider circle. None of that's just always the two of us alone together. You're watching. You're building a deeper friendship. Well, we've got to go. Let's go uh, honor, honor your parents. Okay, you have that down. Number five, honor parents. Let's go to number six. Test and build the relationship in real life settings. I just touched on that. I want to say, hold off on this, always, th- this great disappearing act whenever you two go out. Where did you go? None of your business. Well, hold off on that. You, you're going to have so many years when you're alone together. Just enjoy now being around people. Do your activities in, 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 centered in the wider community. Take your, your, romance, your romance home, as we've been saying. Take it home to your parents. You know what? I'm speaking as a parent now. Hey, that's a wonderful moment. I, I would like to share in that with my children. Parents are. This is kind of payoff for parents. They work hard to get you to this moment. Go home. Keep it in the circle, the wider circle of family and friends. Joshua calls this principled romance. And I like that. He says, what's, what's happening now at, at principle six? You are building the confidence, both of you, to say, yep, we are confident about marriage together. And when you're both confident, Joshua says, okay, stop the praying. It's over. You don't have to keep praying now. You don't have to keep testing this relationship. It's over now. You are ready, and it's still the most beautiful moment when you pop the question.'" You, pop the qu- you, you make the proposal. It's still beautiful. But you see, you've been building, building, building. Final principle. This is a good one. Principle number seven. Reserve passion for marriage. Principle seven. Reserve passion for marriage. Marriage. Hey, guys, I know. This flies in the face of everything Hollywood and society have taught us. They say, date the girl, get her in bed. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Woman, don't you let him do that to you. You have a vote. You have a vote. Exercise your ballot and cast your vote. We know, sir, your plumbing works. She already can guess it. You have nothing to prove. I tell the young couples who come to me for marriage. I say, hey guys, you promise me. Look at my eyes now. You promise me you will never test this relationship sexually, ever. Do you understand? I'm very direct and bold with them. In fact, you know what? i do this to kind of cut down on the number who come to me. I also say to them, <laughs> I also say to them, Have you been sexually active before you walked in this door with each other? I want to know. Not because I have some voyeuristic desire, because I I need to know what are we dealing with here. Do we have guilt we need to deal with? Do we have forgiveness that needs to be ascertained? We've got to know that this relationship works not only on the sexual front, but on every other front that God has created. I have to know. You see, when God decided to describe marital intimacy in Hebrew, He chose the word yada. It means to know. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she got pregnant. Because, you see, I love it. Knowing is the key. Knowing. In fact, what God wants... Look at this on the screen. God wants us to know each other first mentally. Then He wants us to know each other emotionally. Then He wants us to know each other socially. And then He wants us to know each other spiritually. And when we've known each other on all four levels, then and only then, sexually, does knowing each other make any sense at all. The problem with America is America has eliminated the four foundations to marriage. It's just obliterated them and it started out at the top. And that is a shame. No. Save it. Save it. They say, if I haven't saved it, we've already dealt with that. We've already dealt with that in a previous sermon. I'm talking to you who are choosing the right one. Save it. Reserve your reserve passion for marriage. Finally, I love this. Joshua comes up with these three little suggestions. They're worth their weight in gold, especially number two. Let's do number one. Respect the deep significance of physical intimacy. You want to write that in there? Respect the significance of physical intimacy. Sex is not about two bodies that collide. Sex is about a man and a woman who leave father and mother and cleave unto themselves and they become, count it, one flesh. They are one body. It's, they share the body. That's what physical intimacy is. You have become one. What's the point? Respect the deep significance of that. Hold off. Hold off. That oneness belongs in marriage. And number two, this is, as I say, worth its weight in gold. Set your standards too high. Too high. Nobody's ever going to come to you after you're married and say, you know what? Your standards are too high. You should have lowered them. After you're married and you're sitting around having a candlelight dinner with your wife, you're not going to say, you know, honey, I wish we had lowered the standards. Never. Never. Set your standards too high. Billy Graham, at the beginning of his ministry, as he began to grow in popularity and the crowds were coming, Billy Graham took the men on his team and he said, Gentlemen, I'm gonna, I want you to make a pact with me. I want you to agree with me that you will never be alone with a woman. Not in a car, not in a room, not in anything. Ever. How many commit to that? We all commit, Billy. Okay. And that has preserved Billy Graham over the years. There's never been a taint, a moral taint on him. My dad took me aside when I was a boy and said, Dwight, never ride in a car alone with a woman. Never. Now, what's the point? The point is, you set the standard high. Some say, oh, come on, that's too high. In ministry, I will never be in a room alone. Well, that standard is too high. No, it's not too high. It might be too high for you, but it's better to set it too high than too low. I love that. And finally, number three, make the purity of others... A priority. You see, the problem with American culture is it teaches... The American, American culture says, the man is the hunter. No, 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 no. Josh Harris says, you're not a hunter. Why don't you think of yourself as a warrior guardian? Your job, sir, as a warrior, is to guard the purity of that woman all the way through. You guard her. You guard her. Make the, make the purity of others... A priority. Reserve the passion. Reserve passion for marriage. And the Song of Solomon promises you, no, 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 no. God promises you that it will be worth the wait. Take it from me. It will be worth the wait. I promise you. Reserve passion for marriage. Oh, by the way, we don't have time to read these X-rated portions here. You go home and take a look at them. Not in a dark room, but in full light. You just look at it. You will see that at the very center of the book, there's a chiasm. And in the very middle of Song of Solomon, marriage is consummated. We know she's a bride. We know he's a groom. And it's consummated there. And I tell you, it's glorious symbolism. But if you know anything, you can tell it has just happened. Reserve passion for marriage. How did the text go that we looked at today? Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. I adjure you, O sons of Andrews. Do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. I want to end with a story about someone who made the right choice. Oh, I love this story is told by Fred Smith, businessman, very successful entrepreneur and also a writer. He's writing here. I'm going to read it to you. One of my treasured memories, writes Fred Smith, comes from a donut shop in Grand Celine, Texas. Maybe some of you have been to Grand Celine, Texas. There was a young farm couple sitting at the table next to mine. Young. You get that? A young couple. Farm couple. He was wearing overalls and she a gingham dress. After finishing their donuts... He got up to pay the bill. And I noticed that she didn't get up to follow him. But then he came back and stood right in front of her. She put her arms up around his neck. And he lifted her up, revealing that she was wearing a full body brace. He lifted her out of that chair and backed out the front door to the pickup truck with her hanging from his neck. As he gently put her into the truck, everyone in the shop watched. No one said anything until a waitress remarked, almost reverently, he took his vows Seriously. Listen to me. Make your choice seriously. And you will take your vows seriously. Forever. Forever.